This is KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. And today, on Wednesday, we are sponsoring a weekly shiur by Rav uh, Dr. Avi Wolfish, who's been doing a lot of work in the last few years on the study of Mishnah specifically, giving a weekly shiur on reading Mishnah. In our last shiur, we reviewed the various opinions as to the shift in the first parak of Rosh Hashanah from discussing the topic of Rosh Hashanah to discussing the topic of Kiddush HaChodesh. The shift uh, takes place in Mishnah Gimel of the first parak, and uh, we noted that uh, some uh, scholars understand that uh, the topic that concerns the Mishnah redactor in the first chapter is Kiddush HaChodesh, and he utilizes the uh, topic of Rosh Hashanah, Arba'a Rosh Hashanim Heim, and Barba Prakim Ha'olam Nidon, as a kind of introduction to the topic of Kiddush HaChodesh. Uh, on the other hand, we noted the uh, theory of Professor Yonah Frankel, who understands it on the basis of the Tosefta, as being the opposite. Opening with the theme of Rosh Hashanah, including the Arbar Perkedin, uh, the Mishnah then uh, moves on to Kiddush HaChodesh in as much as the Perkedin are established based on Kiddush HaChodesh. And this is the point noted in the Tosefta, which, as Frankel notes, serves as a kind of bridge between the two topics, that when Israel sanctifies the new month, that's when the din actually occurs. But if Israel fails to sanctify the new month on a given day, then the Rebbeinu Shalom, uh, as is mentioned in a uh, uh, different midrashic framework, packs up shop, tells all the... Uh, stenographers and, uh, and, and other officials of the court to go home and wait until the following day when uh, Kiddush HaChodesh will actually, uh, will actually take place. So inasmuch as the din depends on Kiddush HaChodesh, that's why the Mishnah then goes into a lengthy discussion of the topic of, of Kiddush HaChodesh. Moving beyond these two theories, we noted that... Uh, that in the Mishnah, the first four Mishnayot have several points in common. One of them, as noted by the Melechet Shlomo, is the numbers 4, 4, 6, and 2. Uh, but we also noted that the Mishnayot have in common uh, the Regalim, which are mentioned in, uh, or in all of the, the, four, the first four Mishnayot, and... Uh, and as well, um, the uh, special importance accorded to the months of Nisan and Tishrei is something common to all four Mishnayot. This then led us to the idea with which we concluded our last year that in fact what the Mishnah is teaching us is that uh, there are two aspects of the calendar, years and months, and uh, these two aspects both lead to what is the focal point of the calendar, the most significant part of 
maintaining and managing the calendar, and that is the festivals. The festivals are established by a coordination of these two systems of time management uh, and measurement, the uh, years which belong to nature and the months which belong to culture, to, to the way in which people uh, uh, divide up time. And the combination of these, uh, uh, of these two is necessary in order to sanctify, uh, to sanctify the festivals. Um, there's still some uh, unfinished business relating to these few Mishnayot, and uh, particularly I want to focus on the strange position of Mishnah Gimel, which really has not yet been adequately explained by any of the theories that, uh, that we've mentioned. Whatever the reason may be for the shift from Rosh Hashanah to Kiddush HaChodesh, Mishnah Gimel seems to be a very strange way in which to open the topic of Kiddush HaChodesh. Why start the topic of Kiddush HaChodesh from the end, from the sending out of messengers in order to inform the people when the month when the new moon has been sanctified, rather than starting it, there would seem to be much more logical, namely the next Mishnah, Al Shnei Chodashim Mechalulim Et HaShabbat. Here we're talking about the witnesses. We're talking about when is it appropriate for the witnesses to travel, even if it's Shabbat. Um, that could be an appropriate way of starting the discussion of Kiddush HaChodesh. Why start it with Mishnah, uh, with Mishnah Gimel? Um, at a later juncture, we'll talk uh, in somewhat greater detail about the uh, parallels between uh, Mishnah Gimel and Mishnah Dalil. Let's just note now briefly a couple of the uh, a couple of the points. Uh, these two Mishnayot, Gimel and Dalid, have very very similar structure and language. Al Shisha Chodashim Shluchim Yotim. Al Shnei Chodashim, it's the same opening formula, uh, Al, a certain number of Chodashim, is the opening formula. In one case, it's uh, the months in which the Shluchim go out. In the other case, it's the months for which the witnesses violate uh, violate the Shabbat. Uh, both Mishnayot also share the term Takanat HaMuadot, Al Tishrei Mipnei Takanat HaMuadot in Mishnah Gimel and in Mishnah Dalid Uvahen Hayu Mitaknim Et HaMuadot Very interestingly in Mishnah Dalid it says Shebahem Shluchim Yotim that uh, in these two months Nisan and Tishrei the Shluchim uh, the Shluchim go out Shebahem HaShluchim Yotim L'Surya of course there seems to be uh, uh, tension between these two Mishnayot. Mishnah Gimel tells us that there are six months which Shluchim go out. Uh, Mishnah Dalid tells us there are two months. Perhaps the solution is in going out to Surya. Perhaps witness, uh, Shluchim go out to other places during the six months and only and to Surya only for the two months. Uh, that's how Shaul Lieberman understands the uh, uh, the difference between the, the between the two Mishnayot, but in any event, the reference to Shluchim is another interesting connection between the two Mishnayot. Um, 
there's also a similarity between the way in which the two Mishnah conclude. Mishnah Gimel concludes, kayam yotzim af al iyar, and in uh, at the end of Mishnah Dalit, uchshabet hamikdash kayam mechalalim af al kulam. In both cases, the Mishnah notes that the halacha that's been mentioned for most of the Mishnah is the halacha that applies today when there's no Beit Mikdash. But when the Mikdash existed, then there were additional months when uh, uh, additional months when when uh, this halacha would be observed. So there are a lot of similarities of theme and of language between Mishnah Gimel and, and Mishnah Dalid. Uh, that gives us perhaps some initial understanding as to why the Mishnah redactor wants to bring Mishnah Gimel and Mishnah Dalid uh, together. Um, uh, as, I, as I've indicated, uh, I think there's an idea here that we'll be coming back to at a, at a later stage. In our discussion of Perak Bet, we'll have occasion to refer back to this uh, interesting connection between Mishnah Gimel and Mishnah Dalid in, in Perak Aleph. Uh, but for now, I'd like to focus on a different reason why Mishnah Gimel appears here at the very opening of the Halachot of Kiddush HaChodesh, rather than where we would expect to find it at the very end of the Halachot of, of Kiddush HaChodesh. Uh, we've noted many similarities, several similarities between, the, uh, among the first four Mishnayot, but there's one similarity uh, among the Mishnayot that applies only to Mishnayot Aleph, Bet, and Gimel. There's one term that appears only in Mishnayot Aleph, Bet, and Gimel, and in fact that term disappears from the Mishnah's language uh, for the next two chapters until we get into Perak Gimel. That word is, you guessed it, Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the very first Mishnah, of course, Arba'a Rosh Hashanah, and uh, each one of the dates listed in Mishnah Aleph is called a Rosh Hashanah. Mishnah Bet mentions only one Rosh Hashanah. Uve Rosh Hashanah kol ba'ei ha'olam ovrim l'fanav kivnei maron or kivnu maron. And so of the four Rosh Hashanah in Mishnah Aleph, Mishnah Bet actually teaches us that one of them is the Rosh Hashanah par excellence. We could, of course, have understood this from Mishnah Aleph as well, because of all the four Rosh Hashanah, there's only one of them which uh, is a Rosh Hashanah for several uh, uh, for several items. Uh, Nisan, as we mentioned in, early, in an earlier shiur, is uh, Rosh Hashanah in the Mishnah for two. Halachot, uh, Tosefta adds a couple. Rosh Hashanah, Echad uh, B'Tishrei, in the first Mishnah, is Rosh Hashanah for five. Shanim, Shmitin, Yovlot, Netiyah, Yirakot. And so we, we already have a clear sense here that Echad B'Tishrei is the main Rosh Hashanah. And as we noted on, on an earlier occasion, Echad uh, B'Tishrei is also the the focal point of the natural year, sandwiched in between Echad Be'elul and Echad Bishvat or Tu Bishvat, uh, Echad B'Tishrei really is the, the main 
the mainstay of the natural and, and agricultural year. So the reason why it's called the Roshanan Mishnah Bet seems, seems fairly clear. Um, so Mishnah Aleph and Mishnah Bet have both mentioned the term Rosh Hashanah. And interestingly, Mishnah Gimel also mentions it. Al Elul Mipnei Rosh Hashanah. And as mentioned, uh, the term then disappears from use uh, through the rest of this chapter and throughout chapter 2, Perak Bet, uh, as well. Um, what is the significance of the use of this word in these in these three Mishnayot? In order to get a bit more of a sense of that, um, let's look, first of all, at Mishnayot Aleph and Bet, and get a bit better sense of how the two of these Mishnayot interact. And then we'll look a little more closely at Mishnah Gimel, and then we'll try to put put them together. Mishnah Aleph and Bet both focus on the number four. Uh, they both divide the year uh, four different ways, but uh, the, the the number, uh, the, the, the types of time that we're talking about in these two Mishnayot are are highly different. Rashi Shana are beginnings. Okay, we're talking about a cycle, and a cycle has a beginning, and we're talking about wh- where the cycle begins. In three cases, we're talking about the natural cycle. What is the opening pa- point of the natural cycle? When we talk about a Nisan Rosh Hashanah Lachim Lurugalim, we're talking about a national, cultural, historical. Uh, cycle of the year. Um, that's in Mishnah Aleph. The Abba'a Prakim, the four Prakim, where uh, when the world is judged, don't necessarily refer to the beginning point of a cycle. And in fact, if you look closely at it, you'll see that in at least most of the cases, it's referring to to a, a point somewhere in the in the midpoint of the of the cycle. Uh, when we say Pesach. Uh, the judgment of the Tua doesn't take place when the Tua is sown, uh, when it begins to grow. Rather, the Tua is judged at the point when it's standing ripe in the field, ready to be harvested. Similarly, Perotailan at the time of Yatzeret. And, uh, in a way, you could argue the same thing about Bachag Nidonim Alamaim. Bachag nidonim alamayim means uh, at the point just before the water is about to be granted to man. In other words, the the uh, common feature of all of these judgments is the point where uh, something exists already in nature. God has stored up uh, bounty that he wants to bestow upon human beings. And at the point just before he bestows it, Upon man, that's the point of judgment. Judgment of man, of course, is also not at uh, his beginning point. It's when he returns to that beginning point uh, later on in his life. In other words, when man is first created, there's nothing to be judged. But on the day that he was created, years later, when he's already grown, when he's already capable of uh, moral and spiritual behavior and judgment, so, at that point in his life, the, every year at the beginning of, uh, at, that, at, at that point that 
returns him, as it were, to his beginnings, to his roots, that's the point, that's the point where, where man is judged. So it's not surprising that the four prakim of judgment and the four Rosh Hashanah um, don't generally correspond. Um, uh, Echad B'Nisan is a Rosh Hashanah. It is not a day of judgment. The day of judgment is Pesach, which is a couple of weeks later. Um, but, uh, similarly, Echad uh, Be'elul and Echad Bishvar or Tu Bishvar are not at all days of judgment, at least not in the Mishnah. Uh, later tradition may attribute some kind of judgment to one or another of these days, but uh, uh, in the Mishnah we don't we don't have uh, uh, we don't have that idea. By the same token, the three regalim are not Rosh Hashanah. The the three regalim are times of judgment. Pirkei Din. They are not uh, they are not Rosh uh, they are not Rosh Hashanah. Uh, interesting point that might be relevant to the. Uh, uh, way in which the Mishnah focuses on four Rosh Hashanah and four Prokim of Judgment is that in a different Jewish calendar from uh, from antiquity, uh, the calendar that's recorded in the Book of Jubilees, uh, which is a sectarian work with a very different calendar from the calendar that, uh, that Chazal adopted and, and that's mentioned in the Mishnah, uh, in that calendar, the year divides into four parts, four tkufot, four, four seasons, and each uh, tkufa begins with a yom zikaron. Okay, so you have, as it were, four rashay, not shana, but tkufot, and each one of them is a yom zikaron, which seems there to mean a time of judgment. And uh, perhaps Chazal, in, in emphasizing that there are four Rosh Hashanah and four Pirkei Din, want to uh, polemicize against this, uh, uh, against this calendar and say, no, in our calendar we also have four beginnings and four periods of judgment, but they don't correspond. That is, except for one of the dates. There is one date that is both a Perik Din and a Rosh Hashanah, and that is, of course, Echad B'Tishrei Rosh Hashanah. That is both a Rosh Hashanah and a Perek Din. Interestingly, however, not in the same respect. Echad B'Tishrei is a Rosh Hashanah for the natural year, for the agricultural cycle. Rosh Hashanah is a period of judgment for man, for human beings. And uh, in the Mishnah, at least, it, it has no application to the, to the natural cycle. The natural cycle is judged on the three festivals, on the three regalim. Rosh Hashanah is a judgment for man and, and not for nature. And it's interesting to speculate on why it is that at the beginning of the agricultural year, that's when man is judged. Is it because uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is at the, sort of, it's, it's at the turn of the wheel, the end of one agricultural year, and we're about to begin another one, that's a kind of period for reflection. That's a time for God to judge man and say, how did man conduct the previous agricultural year? Did he conduct it in such a way as to be judged favorably or to be judged unfavorably? Or perhaps there could be some other way of 
of explaining this connection, but be that as it may, the, the Mishnah does seem to indicate that the special significance of Echad B'Tishrei has to do with its being A, the Rosh Hashanah par excellence, as we see in Mishnah, both in Mishnah Aleph and in Mishnah Bet, and B, that it is the only one of the Rosh Hashanah that is also a Perek Din. Now let's turn to Mishnah Gimel. Mishnah Gimel also focuses attention quite heavily on the very same uh, date, Echad B'Tishrei Rosh Hashanah. How does it do that? Because that is the only date that is mentioned in this Mishnah twice. How is it mentioned twice? Well, uh, we've noted that the six months divide into three and three. Uh, Nisan Av and Elul uh, is one half of the year. Tishrei, Kislev, and Adar is the second half of the year. And at the midpoint... Okay, we have Rosh Hashanah actually mentioned twice. Al-Elul mipnei Rosh Hashanah, al-Tishrei mipnei Takanat HaMuadot. So, the Shluchim go out twice due to Rosh Hashanah. They go out once because of Rosh Hashanah as a festival. That's during Elul. In order to establish when the festival of Rosh Hashanah will be celebrated, the, uh, the Shluchim have to go and inform the people during the month of Elul. Yes, this is when Rosh Chodesh Elul uh, was established, and so you have a fairly good idea when Rosh Chodesh Tishrei, namely Rosh Hashanah, uh, will be. Of course, we don't know exactly, because that will depend on witnesses actually showing up on the right day. But, uh, first of all, it narrows down the field to one of two possible days, once you know when Rosh Chodesh Elul is. There are only two possibilities for Rosh Chodesh Tishrei. Uh, secondly, uh, at least according to one opinion in the in the Gemara, uh, there was a tradition that Elul always had 29 days. And so people would have a pretty good idea that the 30th day from that point would be, uh, would be Rosh Hashanah. In any event, uh, that's one of the dates, that's one of the mentions of Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah as a festival, and again the witnesses, the shluchim go out a second time al Tishrei because uh, after actually sanctifying Rosh Hashanah, so then you have to let the people know when Rosh Hashanah was sanctified because that's the first of the Muadot. Okay, uh, in order to establish the rest of the Muadot during the month of Tishrei. Uh, you have to have the witnesses, the shluchim going out uh, a second time during the month of Tishrei itself. And so the Mishnah is really calling attention to the fact that this date, Echad B'Tishrei, plays a double role. Echad B'Tishrei, on the one hand, is a festival in its own right, has its own significance and its own importance as a festival. Uh, on a second level, Tishrei is also uh, Rosh Hashanah, it's also the date that establishes Takanata Muadot. In order to know when you celebrate Yom Kippur and when you celebrate Sukkot, you have to know when Rosh Hashanah was uh, uh, was established. Now, the first of these two functions actually links right back uh, right back with with the first two Mishnayot. Okay, Rosh Hashanah has this dual significance of opening the agricultural year and of being 
a perek din for uh, uh, for man. Uh, the second one uh, really opens the next topic. So, right here at the midpoint of Mishnah Gimel, we are summing up the first three Mishnayot by saying that Rosh Hashanah is a highly significant day. Insofar as it is this day that has this uniquely important role, as we saw in Mishnayot, Aleph and Bet, Therefore, we understand why the Shluchim go out Alelul Mipnei Rosh Hashanah. That more or less concludes our uh, uh, the topic of the first two Mishnayot. But opening up the next topic, Al Tishrei Mipnei Takanata Muadot. The Shluchim also go out for the month of Tishrei in order to establish the import, uh, in order to establish the date of the other festivals. And here is our lead-in to. Takanata Muadot, how Kiddush HaChodesh is necessary in order to establish the, the, the Muadot at the, uh, uh, at the proper time. Okay, so I think we, uh, we have at least one reason as to why Mishnah Gimel is the, uh, is the Mishnah that, uh, opens up the discussion of, of Kiddush HaChodesh rather than Mishnah Dalid, Mishnah Gimel is put in this place, because Mishnah Gimel concludes the introduction to the Masechet. The introduction to the Masechet is, what is special and unique about the festival of Rosh Hashanah? And our dual answer to that is, A, it's a highly important festival that we have in all of the first three Mishnayot, and B, because... uh, Rosh Hashanah also opens up the Moadot of the year, and that is our lead-in to the next topic, the topic of of, uh, of Kiddush HaChodesh. So because of this transitional function of Mishnah Gimel, that's why it, it's, uh, it's uh, placed at this juncture. The word Rosh Hashanah links it up with Mishnah Yorah Bet. The the, the term Takanata Muadot is one of the several terms that link it up with Mishnah Dalit and with the topic of Kiddush HaChodesh generally. So this then is a, uh, a transitional Mishnah which serves a bridge between the opening topic of Rosh Hashanah, how the year is divided, and the next topic which is how we sanctify the, uh, the new moon, how we sanctify <coughs> how we sanctify the months and the and the festivals that occur during uh, uh, during those months. Okay, let, let's now move into the second half of the uh, uh, of the first chapter. Second half of the first chapter uh, has an opening formula that more or less repeats itself in the closing formula. Mishnah Dalid opens with Ashnei Chodashim. For two months, we uh, we desecrate the Shabbat. In other words, have the witnesses go out uh, and even travel uh, beyond the Tchum in order to uh, to sanctify the uh, the new month. And uh, a similar formula at the end of uh, at the end of the parak in in Mishnah Tet. Okay, 
Mikra'e Kodesh. Okay, so here we, we repeat the halacha, the Mechalim Tashabat, with a couple of additional points that were not mentioned in Mishnah Dalit. Mishnah Dalit talked about for which months do we actually violate the Shabbat. And uh, in Mishnah Tet, that point is of course not repeated, but another two points are added. One point that's added is Al-Mahalach Laila Bayom Mechalim Tashabat. In other words, the witnesses will go only if they can get there with, within the same day. If they get there beyond that day, so then they have no warrant for violating Shabbat, uh, presumably because they'll get there too late uh, uh, to really do anything about it, since uh, uh, what could they possibly do if they get there a day late? There is an opinion that holds otherwise, and uh, uh, time permitting, at the end of the second chapter, we'll come back to that point. In any event, that would seem to be the, the simple reading of Amalach Lalavayom. The second point, of course, is the Pasuk. The Pasuk that teaches us that um, uh, that Shabbat can be violated, desecrated in order to sanctify the new month is Kodesh Bimoadam means uh, at its appointed time and Chazal Darshan here as in many other places uh, even if if uh, the Shabbat has to be violated uh, in order to do so. Now, uh, the question arises: Why? Why is why is this so important? Why does the Torah regard sanctifying the the festivals, uh, having the witnesses come to sanctify the festivals at their appointed time, to be so crucially important? That uh, uh, that we violate, that we violate the Shabbat. Um, now, there are uh, a couple of ideas that I think are suggested in the Mishnah that can help us get get an understanding uh, an understanding of that point. Uh, one idea is the idea that we saw in the Tosefta, and uh, I believe that. Uh, the order of the Mishnayot uh, sustains that idea as well. And that idea is because the Mu'adot are all Pirkei Din. Insofar as the Mu'adot are all Pirkei Din, so the Tosefta taught us only when Israel sanctify the new moon and thereby sanctify the festival does the Din actually happen. And so, if you will, you can say that the Mu'adot are really Pikuach Nefesh. The deen is about pikuach nefesh. The deen is judging man for life and death. The deen is judging the agricultural production, the rainfall, the, the uh, economic prosperity. Obviously, if there's no rain and, and if there's no grain, then uh, uh, the community will not survive and many people will not survive. And so... If pikuach nefesh is doches Shabbat, part of pikuach nefesh is establishing the festivals properly. And so, if the festivals are pirkei din, so uh, establishing the festivals as pirkei din uh, is something that will even that will even uh, that will even set aside Shabbat. Now, that's one idea that I think uh, uh, I think we can see. 
both in the Tosefta, and uh, uh, and I think we can see that idea in the Mishnah as well. Um, there's another way of looking at this uh, at this issue uh, as well, and that is to take a somewhat closer look at how the Mishnah actually describes the procedure of uh, uh, the procedure of, of Kiddush HaKodesh. Um, let's take a look at some of the Mishnayot that describe the procedure of, of Kiddush HaKodesh. Um, after telling us that there are two months which we violate the Shabbat, Mishnah continues, Ben Shabbat, Rabbi Okay, whether or not the moon was sighted uh, clearly and and distinctly, uh, the Tanakama says either way you can mechalel et Shabbat. Rabbi Yosei says if the moon was sighted uh, clearly and distinctly, then you can't mechalel et Shabbat. Should be noted, by the way, that. The sighting of the uh, uh, of the new moon uh, is not a very simple matter. The, uh, the at the beginning of the month, the uh, moon is very very near the horizon, the western horizon, and appears for a very brief period of time immediately after sundown. And if uh, conditions of visibility are not uh, are not extremely good, then it would be very easy to miss the sighting of the new moon. And so, most months, it will not be near Ebe Alil. Most months, the, the, the new moon will, uh, uh, will be uh, difficult to spot and difficult to identify. And so we can understand that under those circumstances, if a witness living, let's say, in uh, Tzfat or, or uh, somewhere down in the Negev sees, uh, sees the new moon, so um, he can set out and travel as fast as he possibly can in order to make it uh, uh, make it to uh, Yerushalayim when the Beit Hamikdash is around, or to Yavne after the Churban in order to sanctify uh, sanctify the new moon. But uh, what if the moon is very clearly visible? So the Jew sitting in Svat can say, uh, look, there must be Jews who live much closer, and presumably there are Jews living in Yerushalayim or in Yavne who can go to the court and testify without their having to violate the Shabbat. After all, uh, it was so distinct and so clearly visible, why should I necessarily violate the Shabbat? And that's exactly Rabbi Yossi's argument. We have a similar argument in the in the next Mishnah, um, uh, in the next Mishnah, uh, we're, we're given a story that seems to be in a case that's very similar to the previous uh, Mishnah. Maser shavru yoter me'arba'im zug, ve'ikvan Rabbi Akiva belod. Okay, there was actually a case in which forty pairs of edim uh, uh, traveled, and Rabbi Akiva held them up in Lud. We see here, by the way, a very interesting uh, halacha, which is that the witnesses don't travel directly to the main court. They seem to uh, uh, travel to uh, uh, district courts uh, beforehand. Uh, and it, it's, it stands to reason, 
And this seems to appear from the last Mishnah of the Parak as well, where the Mishnah talks about Molichim Otawalahachamor, okay, and and Lokhim Biadam Maklod. It seems that probably the witnesses first come to their local court. The local court sends them to a higher district court and <coughs> only after passing through these lower courts do they actually arrive at the higher court. And in this Mishnah, Rabbi Akiva, sitting on probably the uh, uh, next highest court after the court of Rabban Gamliel in Yavne, uh, Rabban Gamliel actually, uh, Rabbi Akiva actually takes the liberty of detaining the witnesses. He says, you, you don't have to travel. Um, there's a debate among commentators whether this was on Shabbat or perhaps even during the week. Rabbi Akiva said, it's unnecessary. You don't have to trouble yourselves and you don't have to take up the court's valuable time by, by, uh, uh, by appearing because so many other witnesses have gone already. Now, Rabban Gamliel's counter-argument is very interesting. Rabban Gamliel says, Im tarabim lavo. He says, It may be that they're not necessary for now, but I don't want you discouraging them from coming, uh, from coming uh, on another occasion. Okay? It's very important for Rabban Gamliel that uh, that witnesses be encouraged to come and, and to testify. Now, this can be understood in one of two ways. Uh, the simple way of understanding it, of course, would be to say that Rabban Gamliel says, look, this time the witnesses aren't actually necessary and we can easily establish uh, the the proper Kiddush HaChodesh without the 39 spare pairs of witnesses. But on a future occasion, these same witnesses might be essential, they might be necessary, and, and uh, if we discourage them this time because we didn't let them come, so then next time they'll also think they're superfluous and they won't bother coming. So uh, he's just thinking ahead. But it's possible, and this is a point that I think we'll see confirmed uh, later on when we study uh, the second chapter, that the very participation of the Rabbim in Kiddush HaChodesh is vitally important for, uh, for Rabban Gamliel. Uh, Rabban Gamliel thinks that it's, that, uh, that, uh, in order to sanctify the new month, it's not enough for the court to sanctify the new month. It's important for the people to participate. Uh, we'll see several, uh, points that support this idea. Let's just note one such point uh, in Perak Bet, and that is in Perak Bet, Mishnah Zayin, where, where we're told that Rosh Beit Din Omer Mekudash, the Chol Ha'amonim Acharav Mekudash Mekudash. The Rosh Beit Din announces Mekudash, and then the people respond and say Mekudash Mekudash. The involvement of the people in Kiddush HaChodesh is crucially important. And Rabban Gamliel says part of the involvement of the people is the witnesses coming to the court in order to testify. The uh, Gemara, uh, at one point, uh, discusses why uh, uh, why the witnesses need to come and, and 
uh, one of the reasons given by the Gemara, suggested by the Gemara, is mitzvah lekadesh al pi Okay, in other words, even though the court could actually sanctify the new month uh, without witnesses, witnesses wouldn't have to come. As we'll see, and we'll discuss this at some length in the second chapter, uh, the court knows how to calculate uh, when the new moon will appear, and so they could follow that calculation, much as we do in, in our current calendar, and sanctify the new month on, on that basis. But they don't do so because mitzvah the kadesh al hariyah. The mitzvah is to sanctify the new month based on the sighting of witnesses. And so, uh, perhaps the reason why the Shabbat is violated is because the sighting of the witnesses, the sighting of the new moon by witnesses, is a very important uh, experience and a very important spiritual event within the life of Am Yisrael, and it's a very important part of how the uh, festivals are sanctified, and that's why uh, we even violate the Shabbat in order to uh, uh, in order to have the witnesses come and sanctify uh, uh, and sanctify the new month. Um, for our next shiur, uh, there's of course there are of course many other points we could discuss about Parakalif, but in order to make sure that in the course of these shiurim we finish the Masachet, what I'll ask you to do is to look over the second chapter of the Masechet. Uh, it's worth looking at the first Mishnah of the third chapter as well. Mishnah that uh, really, theoretically, we would imagine should have appeared uh, as part of the second Perak. Uh, uh, we'll focus on the Mishnayot of the, of the second Perak uh, next time. As you go through the Mishnayot, try to give some thought to how the Perak is structured, where it seems to make sense where the order of the Mishnayot seems not to make sense. Uh, the chapter ending, which we've already noted, is, a, uh, uh, is problematic. And try to think about uh, major themes. Are there any general ideas that seem to emerge uh, as you go through the Perak? And uh, these are things that we'll begin discussing in our next shiur.